But if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're talking about uh, asking a question that uh, you've never probably put together. I know I never have. Uh, and that is, how, how could Romans chapter 8 have uh, a prophetic uh, slant to it? And I've been thinking about that all week and ever since I saw that in our, in our part one study. So we're asking the question in the title, what are you going to do about Bible prophecy? And you might uh, justifiably say, how in the world can you find eschatology, Bible prophecy in Romans 8? But you know what? I've concluded this, <laughs> that now when I open up my Bible right now, living right now in this 21st century, right now in the year 2024, as I open up my Bible, now I'm starting to see almost everything being imminently prophetic in the sense of you name it, the Lord coming back or God's judgments or the things of the earth, the world, the rise of the Antichrist, a cashless society, uh, a, a one world governing uh, politic. These are things that I'm not making up but are in fact in play in the world around us right now. Uh, and yet the Bible addresses all of those things, which makes, in my opinion now, just about every page of the Bible. Stimulating and prophetic and certainly preparing us for the future. I just pray that our future is with Jesus this afternoon. How great would that be? So Romans chapter 8, I'll read verse 31. If you guys, nice and loud, pick it up in verse 32. And by the way, be watching how your salvation and the security of your salvation is actually a prophetic reality. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies By the way, that statement that you just read means that it's happening right now. Jesus Christ is talking to the Father right now for your benefit and mine. How awesome is that? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Things to come. Prophetic. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and all God's people said, yeah. amen. You may be seated. That is encouraging. What are you going to do about Bible prophecy? Number one, what you ought to do about it is that when you read the word of God, you ought to make sure that you read it as it was given. And that is uh, in the sense that it is always, always in the now. 
the Bible. When you pick up the Bible, uh, you're not picking up uh, an old book that is an old book that remains an old book. You're picking up an eternal book that has been available from the beginning of time to us through God's revelation, first by the prophets and then uh, unto the fathers and then the disciples, the apostles, the, the printed word of God. The word of God is eternal. Though we might have it in print, it's forever, the Bible says of itself. And uh, by the way, the, the very statement and nature of the Bible uh, begs you to come on and test it. God says in Isaiah chapter one, come, let us reason together, you and I. Let, let us reason. And um, that statement or that word reason is come, you bring your case, let's argue you and I together. I love that. God is saying to all of us, bring your situation to me. Let's talk about it. Uh, but read the fine print. You're going to lose the argument, friend. And only in Christ, when you lose the argument, is that a great victory. When you come to the end of yourself and you come to the beginning of him in a reality in your life. And so I want to give you this, uh, this statement by Dr. James Montgomery Boyce who says regarding Romans chapter 8, and I quote, it is the Mount Everest of the letter, and thus the highest peak in the highest Himalayan range of the scripture. And I like that statement. Church, last time together, verses 31 to 32, we saw this about what we're going to do about Bible prophecy in Romans 8, is the fact that God's plan to glorify us is coming. That sounds kind of uh, crazy. So God's going to glorify us? Well, remember, that whole... Doctrine and that whole meaning means that once God has started a work in your life, he's not going to stop, Christian, until he's done. And when he's done is when you are with him in heaven. That's when he's done. And the last work of that will be the moment that either A, we are raptured and transformed body, soul, and spirit in total, or if we were to die today, our bodies would be buried, right? But the Bible says to be absent from the Lord is to be present with him. That would happen in an instant. And so that final, that final, should death come to us, that final act of God's redemptive work would be resurrection. As Christians, we do not believe in reincarnation. That's not biblical, we do not believe in, in uh, anything other than the one thing that the Bible teaches, and that is resurrection. The Bible tells us in John chapter 5 that all people will be resurrected, all humans that have ever lived, some to everlasting glory and some to everlasting damnation. And trust me, you want to be resurrected to everlasting glory. And so we talked about that. And then we jumped into this. This is where we started. And we hit on the first argument of it. And we'll get into uh, more of it today. And it is this, verses 33 to 34. And it is the fact that your defense is in God's hands. We just started that last week together. Your defense is in God's hands. And I stressed, and I hope you remember, that don't ever seek to defend yourself when you're attacked. Always let God be your defense. He's able to do it way better than you and I can do that. And we get it out of these two verses. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? This is Paul making a statement in the language of uh, Koine Greek, 
But it's actually, and I mentioned this to you last time, it's, it's actually, if we could say that there's a divine sarcasm, this would be it. If there could be a divine provocation, this is it. Paul is saying, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's, it's, he's actually proposing something that's impossible, listen, impossible in the realm of reality. You say, wait a minute, are you sure you got that right? Because people are attacking me, you might say. Yeah, but that's not the reality. Well, it feels like it's the reality. Well, I understand that it feels like it's the reality, but the truth is, the facts are, that God has already determined in the question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? The statement means nobody. It's impossible. Can that encourage you today? In a world of being singled out, and it's going to happen more, and the the Christian church will be brought under more attack in the world, it already is, in the world around us, cheer up, be encouraged. These are one of the great indicators of Christ's near return. But it also proves the fact that you and I are not of this world. And so let God be our defense, and we saw it right here, and that is the fact that it is God who justifies, verse 34, who is he who condemns? Well, they can go ahead and try all they want. The answer to that is it is Christ who died. Notice that. So wait a minute, somebody's condemning me. The answer is Christ has died. Oh yeah. This is what's great. Somebody can condemn you and everything they're saying could be absolutely true. But you can counter back to them and say, you know what? You're right. But God died on the cross for me, and he's, and he's changed my life. He's made me new. Somebody might say, I remember you. That's why I avoid high school or school reunions. I'd rather not even drive by the schools I've been to for fear of somebody maybe recognizing me. But how great it is that now God recognizes me through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how he sees you, the believer. And so he goes on to tell us that that furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So we saw this church in verse 33 is that his innocence is now my or our innocence. And this is a hard thing for us to grapple with and to, and to receive. But God literally, listen, in his redemptive, if this, listen, pretend you're not at church today. Let's, let's pretend we're in a really, really good theological course, that you're in a, in a class today. And uh, the, one of the things that I would say in, in the class is that uh, what is absolutely certain beyond all of the things that we can actually know about our Uh, immediate existence as human beings is the fact what God has worked and what God has wrought at the cross through Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, listen, Christ actually was crucified. You say, well, I don't believe the Bible. So so then read read Roman accounts of it. Well, I don't like the Roman Empire. Well, go to the British Museum of History then and look at the artifacts that are there. Why not read about some of the ancient volumes of writings that are records of the first and second century regarding the crucifixion of Christ? It's not just the Bible that announces that Jesus was crucified. 
But if you decide to go with the Bible, which you ought to go with the Bible, it's the same book that says he rose again from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. The very thing that you want to enjoy and experience and have all of your life of eternity and every human being seeks and wants to live on. Everybody does. Don't tell me you don't. Well, I'm an atheist and I can't wait to die. That's a lie. That's not true. You're an atheist and you're terrified. You are absolutely terrified. And you can say and accuse and attack all you want. Christ died and rose again from the grave and you're gambling with your eternal soul. And what you ought to do is find out that this is a theological fact that we would have in our classroom today. It's that based upon what Jesus has done to those who look to him, he imparts to them innocence, his innocence. Among so many other things, yes, of course, his righteousness It's hard for us to grapple, I get it, that when God the Father looks at us, according to Bible doctrine, not according to feelings, God sees you as pure and as justified and as clean and as acceptable as his son Jesus. That's a fact. If I asked you that question, on what basis will God accept you into heaven? The answer is the cross. It's the cross. But if you left it there, that'd be a half-truth. The cross is where he paid for our sins and purchased our innocence. Three days later, he rose again from the dead to be the very, the Bible uses the word advocate, attorney, to be your attorney and mine. To make sure that what he did is finished in all eternity. Wow. Innocence. What an awesome thing. The Bible tells us, it goes on there in that verse. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. We remembered that in verse 33, the word justifies means that to show or to display. It's God's desire, church, to... Take every one of his children of whom I pray that you trust in Christ to exhibit righteousness, to proclaim, to declare another righteous. It's an imparted righteousness. This is the gospel. This is what the Bible teaches, is that God gives righteousness. I'm reminded right now, last Thursday night, I had the opportunity, I was asked by the beautiful people at PragerU and also at the Israeli consulate, if I would assemble pastors and go to Los Angeles and have them see the October 7th uh, massacre from Hamas footage. And I just want all of you to know something. We, we sat there, we, we watched it. Um, you need, all of you need to know something. Because, you know, the narrative out there in the world that was made up And um, here's the funny thing. If it's made up, if it's made up and it didn't really happen, you know, that's what they're saying. Then why if I were to play portions of what we viewed last Thursday night and streamed it to the world right now, why would people uh, be upset? Right? Why 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 would Newsweek 
uh, and USA Today have an article about this church service tomorrow. They would be absolutely furious. So what are you upset about? You guys said it was fake. You see? Then why are you upset? When we pray to our God, atheists get upset. Why do they get upset? They just think we're a bunch of idiots, a bunch of fools. Why should they be upset? If God doesn't exist, why be upset? If it never happened and we viewed it to all of you today, why would the world be upset? Because it happened. And we saw it, we watched it. And uh, you know what's something? I had this perverse thought. (laughs) If all of the killing wasn't enough, then maybe this would get people to get engaged as they, with their body cams and helmet cams, systematically uh, shot uh, dogs and cats. Maybe that would generate some compassion and some angst. But um, when that viewing was over, we all sat silent. And the uh, consulate general's office, he stood up, And he said verbatim, I say, thank you for coming tonight. You're all dismissed. And he walks away. And nobody moved. And I just had to stand up. I walked down to the front. And I said... Excuse me, but I know many of you in here are Jews. I brought a delegation of Christian pastors with me tonight. And I thanked Marissa, CEO of PragerU. But you may not want to be hearing from a Gentile right now at such a moment. But can I remind all of you that According to the Bible, if a Christian and a church does not love and support a Jew and Israel, that they're not, a, they're not a New Testament church. They're not New Testament Christians. And I said, I, I, you're not going to like who I'm going to quote in a moment, but he's the guy you have the biggest problem with. A couple of guys chuckled. There were rabbis there. They knew where I was going. And I said... It's the Apostle Paul. And they laughed. They, they don't like Paul. Jesus, they said, Jesus was crazy. Paul. And I said, so I want to quote the renegade, Paul, who said, the just shall live by faith. And I said, if any of you are listening carefully, that's actually not Paul. That's Paul quoting your prophet Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, it's Habakkuk 2 4 that says the just shall live by faith. Those who are justified, how do they get justified? By faith in God, not faith in ourselves, faith in him. And so they're, they're watching, they're listening. If you've ever spoken to a Jewish audience, it is a thrill. For those of us who are old, it's called an e-ticket ride. Ask somebody what we mean by that. Because they love, they're beautiful. Man, they love to argue. They know how to argue. They are taught how to argue. It's very, very great. It's very good for your mind, by the way. 
very stimulating. They question everything, and we should be like that. And so I just said, but I said, before we go any further, I happen to be a Gentile who's been grafted in to the family of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob based upon what your prophet Isaiah said to the Gentile nations will come to Israel and will we'll receive the light of salvation through Messiah. And as soon as I said that I was a Gentile who's connected to Isaiah, their pro- they started going. <laughs> okay, I'm talking their language now. What was the language? You could see the lights coming on in their minds. And said a few more words about love and about if you need anything and what our church is doing to help families right now in real time throughout Israel that are suffering. And what happened was, is when I said thank you and I started to walk, people got up, they got up, they came over, these, they're hugging me, I got a couple of kisses from men. It was not that kind of a thing. It was a Middle Eastern thing. It's legit, it's not goofy. And it was precious. You know why? It was a dark, sinister hour and a half. But we were not, there's no way as a Christian I could have walked out of that theater and leave the atmosphere the way that it was. You can't do that. You can't do that. But how do we do that? Because we know that we've been declared innocent by the work of Christ. It's not us. Well, Jack, weren't you nervous to get up there and stand? Nervous to the core. Did my mouth go dry? It always does. No, I'm I'm serious. So you don't seem nervous when you're speaking. I'm lying to you. I tremble before I come out here. You just get, after 33, 34 years, 35 years, you get used to it. You just learn how to manage it. It's all of God. But he did the work and we honor him when we obey him because what he bought for you and I is eternal life by the blood of Christ, forgiveness of sins in a brand new world. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible says, for he made him who knew no sin, wow, for us that he might become or that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ took upon himself all of our sins. And this is the result. I'm reading it backwards, if you think about it. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, but before that is 2 Corinthians 5.17, but I read it backwards intentionally. This is how he did it, or this is the result, I should say, of what he did. He who knew no sin, Jesus. I'm gonna say it again. When I say he who knew no sin, shout Jesus, right? Just for fun. He who knew no sin, God laid upon him, God imparted to him, God put all our sins upon him and we received his righteousness. For what reason? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Did you hear that? Old things have passed away. What old things? All old things. Nobody can control your life, including your old self, when you wake up to this awesome biblical truth. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, isn't that beautiful? Open wide your eyes. All things have become new. Did you know you're all new? Do you like the smell of a new house? You ever walk through models? You know, the home, the home you'll never have. <laughs> yeah, but, but at least your house and my house have got real fruit on the table instead of wax bananas. But it smells so good. Exactly. I was just, just going to say cars. You got me. Listen, women, you should make a perfume that smells like a new car. Now, there's a market for you. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if it's, it's Volkswagen or Yugo or Cadillac or Ferrari. It doesn't matter. If it's new, oh. You know, you know you love new things. And I think God put that in us. You're to be a new creation. You ought to love it. I think we're going to walk around heaven. I don't know how this is going to work. Of course not. But I think every day we're going to have that sense of, oh, this is all so new. Well, for how long? Forever. Can you imagine exploring eternity? It's eternity for crying out loud. We will forever be going on a hike somewhere. We're forever going to be making some sort of an expedition or journey to see what God has made. It's going to be absolutely awesome. The next thing is this, everybody, in verse 34, is that his death is now my death. He said, Jack, is that good news? Yeah, listen, what are you going to do about Bible prophecy? Because this is a prophetic utterance. The Bible announced in advance that it would be God who would die for our sins on the cross. It would be that little baby born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 of the Old Testament, that would die on the cross for our sins. It would be the very one who would be pierced in his hands and his feet and hung on a cross in Psalm 22. He's the very one in Isaiah chapter 53 that he would be there and he would suffer. His beard would be plucked out. You ought to read, when's the last time you read Isaiah 53? You ought to read it again. It's Isaiah's prophetic utterance about the suffering of the Messiah. His beard would be plucked out. His back would be laid wide open. And the Bible tells us that all of that abuse he took for us that we might receive not only healing spiritually, but also the Bible talks about physical healing as well. Wow. His death. Now, if I was to leave Jesus' death right there at that, Jesus died. Okay, so here's going to... People are just... They're used to me saying something that they can twist and make weird, so here's another one. Don't want to have them run out of material. <laughs> Do you know the difference between a Christian crucifix and a Catholic crucifix? Anybody? That's right. A Catholic crucifix has Jesus on it. A Christian crucifix does not. That may be a revelation to some of you. But uh, Christians view that uh, as anathema, to be honest with you, that Christ, he's not on the cross. He's not on the cross. He was on the cross one Friday afternoon. That's it. It's all it took. And when he rose again from the dead, never to suffer again, never, the book of Hebrews, we're studying on Wednesday nights, says that he, he offered himself up once and suffered 
and never again. He's not on the cross. He's enthroned in heaven above. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that his death, my friends, his death, you got to remember something. When we talk about the death of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the death of his physical body. His spirit didn't die. His soul didn't die. His body died. If you were to die today, your body would die. That's the only part of you. Look, you're, listen. You are three parts, body, soul, and spirit, the Bible tells us. Body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. So our, our spirit is like in a state of coma. And the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that awakens our spirit. And then the mind, suke in the Greek, root word of psychology, psyche, is the thinking. You're, we're born spiritually dead, but we have a soul, which is our mind, and we have a body. Listen, without Jesus, we're running on two-thirds of what we are. Did you know that? When we're born again, that third part comes alive. The spirit is made alive. And what's great is that as you feed, are you listening? As you feed your spirit, the word of God, as you feed more and more, you attend Bible study, you, you grow, you serve, you put the Bible into action and you grow and you get yourself, honestly, I'm not saying this to invoke anybody signing up for anything. Don't do that. But go somewhere, do whatever. But when you begin to put into practice what you know, when you go do Christianity, that's when the fireworks, that's when things connect. And the power of God shows up because honestly, why would, why would God give you power if you study the Bible and you're just going to sit down the rest of your life. He's not going to give it. I don't see anything happening. Look, speak for yourself. God wants to do stuff with you. When you read it, tell him, Lord, I just read this today. I'm going to go, I'm going to get up and go do that. Watch what happens. You'll, you'll be trembling. You'll be dry mouth. You'll be scared. And the spirit of God shows up. And then you walk away freaked out galvanized and transformed. Absolutely wonderful. How does that happen? Because his death, the Bible teaches us, when he died, God says, okay, all those who will trust in my son, it's as though they died also. So think about this. The death of Christ is waiting for some of you. You've never come to Jesus. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've never asked him to take control of your life. You've never, you've never had, never once have you done that. But this is what God's waiting for you to do, to do that very thing. Why? Because when that happens, he announces to you, now that you're alive, do you see who you used to be? Yes, I do. My goodness, people, if you, if you, if you're here today and you've never experienced that, it's like being lost in a fog. And then when you get out of the fog and you look back at what you just came from, you had no idea where you were until you got out of it. It's, it's like coming out of something. I didn't, know, I didn't know we were here. And God says, this is where, that's where you were. And this is where you're at now. Amen. The moment you realize that is the moment that the believer revels 
Not only the death of Jesus, but the fact that God has, listen, God has deposited upon my life in your life the death of Jesus that our life died 2,000 years ago. You say, how can that be? And I'm not even a Christian today, you might say. He's waiting for you. It's all been bought. You're just not enjoying that because you haven't come to him. Listen, friend, the key is don't die. Don't die without coming to him. Because he did it all for you and it's waiting right there for you to pull that bow and unwrap it. But he's not going to make you pull the bow. He'll talk to you a lot about it, but... No, listen, his death is a great victory. Incredible victory. The ultimate victory. The Bible here goes on to tell us that who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Absolutely incredible. This is deep stuff. So when it mentions to us about being charged with some wrong or being condemned by somebody, the answer that it's all in Christ, it's all in him. Uh, I touched on this two weeks ago. One more time again. In an eschatological or prophetic, prophetic sense, church, remember this. This is going to become very relevant and very, very encouraging to those of the future. And when I think about that, I think about the seven-year tribulation period that according to the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and the book of Matthew and the book of Mark and the book of Luke is still yet coming. It's still in the future. That during that period of time, remember, God is going to call out of the world. He's going to awaken 12,000 Jewish men who speak Hebrew, who are virgins, from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, nobody knows where the 12 tribes of Israel are at. Nobody. So I just read a guy's book. He knows. No, he just sold you a book and snookered you. (laughs) Nobody knows but God. (laughs) Where's the lost tribes? They're not lost. God knows exactly where they are. And the Bible says that he's going to call 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000, Jewish males, Hebrew-speaking evangelists who are virgins. And they're going to, can you imagine? You think Billy Graham reached billions of people? Can you imagine having 144,000? Billy Grahams are better than that. Can you imagine 144,000 Paul the Apostles turned loose? And maybe they even have the internet at their disposal. Imagine that. They preached the gospel during the tribulation period, and John said the magnitude and multitude of people who get saved from their preaching, nobody could number them. Wow, that's awesome. And those two, as we've mentioned before, they will be part of God's elect. You're God's elect. We talked about this before. Daniel and David is of God's elect. God's chosen. But God's chosen will always be attacked. It's okay, everybody. We need to get, uh, Spurgeon said, in agreement with Jesus, when Jesus says, I need you to be as gentle as doves, right? Be as gentle as a dove, but as wise as a serpent. You know, that's a brilliant statement. When's the last time you stepped on a snake? They don't even have any legs. 
And they don't want to be seen. Now, don't walk around Chino Hills in the springtime or summer. We got some of the biggest rattlesnakes in the nation. I mean, they're huge. But they don't want you. And most of the time, you walk around. You know, we'll see a couple each year. But, we, we'll, you know, it was like... <laughs> we act like they're going to jump. But it's like 20 feet away. And it's like, there, there's one! But notice how smart they are. They, you rarely see them. They hide out. Again, when's the last time you stepped on a snake? Jesus said and implies they're very wise to be able to stay out of the way like that. You need to be like that, Jesus said. Not stay out of the way in the sense of we need to be wise. And as harmless as a dove. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. You need to have the heart of a heart of a dove. And Spurgeon said, and the skin of a rhino. <laughs> Isn't that great? We need to get our skin toughened up, people, in, in, our, in our Christianity. Somebody criticizes us and we wither. Do you not know that you're a blood-bought child of the living God? You're on your way to heaven. God will see to it. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and Jesus doesn't have any recalls. He doesn't have any, he doesn't have any, oh, got to call that one back, this one broke. Listen, he purchased you at the cross. You've come to him. You've given your life to him. And it's up to him to get you into heaven. Guess what? He's going to do it. So we need to get toughened up a little bit and not be so sensitive that when the world says something, because they're going to be really, really getting loud. Little do they know we love them. They just don't understand real love. We want them with us in heaven if they would only listen. But we're, on, we're under attack. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Revelation 12, 10, begins by saying, John says, I heard a voice, a loud voice, saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser, I've always argued in my mind, the accuser, A, should be capitalized. It's speaking about a person. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night. How many of you are of the brethren? How, how many of you are a child of God? Raise your hand. How many of you know that you're, going to, you're, go, you're born again, you're going to heaven? Then why, why did it take you so long to answer the first two questions? <laughs> Satan is accusing, always accusing. Look, for the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them before our God day and night, he has been cast down. And they, over, listen to this, these are the saints on the earth at the time of the tribulation period. So Satan is booted out of having the ability, this may shock some of you, but according to the Bible, God allows Lucifer to have access to the throne of God, even to this moment, and yet it's, I hope he can't hear this next part I tell you guys. <laughs> You know everything that you, you did wrong yesterday? He heaven already knows about it. Did you know that? Uh, Louie 
Louis Lucifer already ratted you out. God, did you see what Susan did? Did you see what Mike did? He's accusing the believer. The Bible tells us in the tribulation period, he's going to get booted. God's going to punt, and, he's going to, and it's going to be a little red ball with horns on it. And he's, he gets ejected from accusing, and the Bible says that he's going to be cast to the earth. But look what happens. He accuses the brethren day and night. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they followed Christ all the way through. These are the tribulation saints and certainly the 144,000. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Accuser, accuser, accuser. Just a side note, we need to be careful as brothers and sisters, we better be careful that we don't get into that habit of accusing our brothers and sisters of things. If we love them, we'll call them out on something. And we don't have to call them out on Facebook. That's a sin. And by the way, don't, don't do this either. Because you're a coward and you won't go talk to the person, don't go tell three of your best friend Christians, you know, you know what... what Karen did, she said this, and it's really bad, so, uh, you know, we need to pray for her. Stop. You just did something worse than Karen did. Did you know that? You just sinned a royal, royal sin. You took something that you knew and only you knew about Karen. And then you went over here and you defiled three people who didn't know a thing about it. And the Bible says that you are a talebearer. It's another word for gossip or a slanderer. Did you know that one of Satan's names is the slanderer? Don't fall for that. Don't accuse your brothers and sisters. If you see them in a sin, what does the Bible say? Go alone to them. Love them and say, you ought not to be doing that. Satan's great at accusing us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians 1, 21 says, And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through, the, through death to present you holy. Look at this. To present you and I holy and blameless and above reproach where it matters. In his sight. Wow. Good news. Thank God. Ephesians 2.1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Remember that old life of yours? According to the prince of the power of the air. That's another title of Satan. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Wow, church, can you handle that? 
That the Bible says, apart from Christ, we are children of wrath. That's what the Bible says. This is truth. We need him. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 8. Isaiah 50, verse 8 says, He is near who justifies me. Wow. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is, the, uh, who is he who will condemn me? What a, do you hear the confidence in that, the boldness in that, the beauty in that? And here's how. You might say, Jack, all this is great, but how does it happen? This is how it happens. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You all know this. People have this on their Bibles. People have this everywhere. and It's awesome. Galatians 2, verse 20. This is how you, this is how you do this. So God declares you and I righteous. He declares you and I innocent. He declares you and I dead to our past. He declares you and I alive in in his son Jesus now. So how do I live? I'm going to act that out for you. First of all, it says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the greatest passages of all scripture. Incredible doctrine here. But watch this. How's that lived out? Like this. I'm walking along and I trip over this thing that you left there. I thought you picked it up. I, I just told you, can you pick that thing up before we go? Yeah, oh, I'll get it. And so I'm getting the keys and I got my coffee. We're all heading out and I'm going like this and boom. Everything goes everywhere. I look at it. I look at you. And I tell you various weaknesses that you have and I critique your listening and follow-through abilities. <laughs> and then I get up and I realize, listen, I shouldn't have said that to you. That was wrong of me. I ask you to forgive me. And whoever that person is in your imagination right now, your kid, your wife, your husband, the dog, whoever it is, and they say, nope, I'm sorry for not picking it up, you're right. No, 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 for what I said, I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Awesome. Let's go. No, watch. See, watch my face. Awesome, great. Okay, let's go. Let's go. I'll, wait, go get the car. I'm going to get another cup of coffee. But let's go. Let's go have a great time. You know, that's what that verse means. You know what you and I do? We don't apply that verse. We read it. But here's what we do. We fall over the thing. The coffee goes everywhere. We yell at the cat and bite the dog and ruin the whole thing. And then all day long, what do you want? I'm sure. What? No. Let's just go home. And you are, you're, you're all messed up. And what has happened? 
you have allowed life to seize the moment, you mishandled it, you sin in it, and then instead of recognizing that you've been crucified with Christ, but nevertheless you live because Christ lives in you now, it means that what just happened needs to be forgiven, and when it's forgiven, you get up with joy and you move. Put it this way. Imagine Peter, Peter and Paul, they're getting ready to preach the gospel. They're in Jerusalem. Paul, are you ready? I'm ready. What portion of scripture? Are you going to go to Jeremiah? What do you think you're going to do? Is it going to be Ezekiel on this one? What? Peter, leave me alone. I don't know yet. I'm thinking about it. You know, Peter, he's just like, well, I need to know. No, you don't need to know. I'm thinking. Will you pray? Come on. So Paul's thinking, and Peter keeps poking, and Paul turns to him and says, Will you keep your mouth shut, you big, dumb fisherman, you? Get out of the way. <laughs> and the band stops playing, and it's time, it's time for Paul to come out. And there's an awkward little moment, because Paul has to stop. Peter, come here. Peter, sorry. You know, Peter was huge. Peter. That was the old Paul that did that. That's how I used to be. Actually, I used to be worse than that. But anyway, that was the old Paul. And the new Paul is the one that's apologizing to you right now. And so I'm crucifying the old Paul. And you know about it, Peter, because um, I'm asking you to forgive me. And Peter says, oh, heck, I do that 100 times a day. And Peter turns to him and says, go out there and give him Jesus. And then, listen, the curtain opens. Obviously, I'm exaggerating. I'm sure Paul didn't have a curtain. (laughs) But do you see see what I'm saying? Paul goes out there and preaches an incredibly powerful anointed message. People get saved or a riot starts. You never know with Paul. (laughs) Something happens and the power of God is there. And what just happened? The Christian life. That's what just happened. Every day you get up and you reckon yourself crucified with Christ. And the moment your thought begins to wonder, grab hold of that thought, give it back to God and say, Lord, that was crucified at the cross. That's not me anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died, gave himself for me. And that's how you live. And then the third and final thing is this, under this point here, verse 34, is that and furthermore, he also, uh, he's also risen, uh, who is even at the right hand of God, the place of authority, who also makes intercession for us. Church family, we'll, we're going to end with this argument, and it is this. His life is now my life. Jesus lives. Because Jesus Christ lives, you're going to live forever with him. Because Jesus Christ is alive, Jesus said, don't even be concerned about people who can kill you in this world. They can only kill your body. But you should be concerned about the one who has the power to throw your body and soul in hell. God. Don't worry about people. This last week, I saw that. We, together, saw actual beheadings. We watched them. Among other types of 
murder. And I thought, I had this thought, which I probably shouldn't share right now, but I had this thought. What if in our country, things went like that? By the way, it wasn't very many bad guys that put an entire nation into war. What if something went bad? And I'm thinking this as I'm watching this. What if that happens here? And I sense the Lord just speaking to my heart. My grace will be with you in that moment. You, Jack, you have, you've not seen my power yet. And it was like, yes. Church family, listen, it sounds like, oh, that's it's so morbid and horrible. I understand through natural eyes. I understand. But when God speaks to your heart and says, my grace will be there for you if that comes, you will actually be triumphant when this time comes. Why? Because he's alive. When you pray, he's alive. He's listening. When you rejoice, he's listening. Very quickly, John 14, a little while, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Verse 20. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. That's a thir- three-core strand, if you think about it, wrapped together, a rope. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That is the word of God and a promise to you. You want God to manifest himself to you? Call upon Jesus Christ today. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I'm going to give you these ending verses. Nobody leaves. You'll be, you'll be tased. And No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't interrupt. We're, we're going to end on time, maybe even a minute early. But I want you to be encouraged by this. Listen to this. We're going to start with 1 Peter 1. And guys, we'll just roll right from 1 passage. Okay, so, so this is like, um, you ever seen, uh, when, when you're at a hockey game or an angel game or whatever, they got those air guns where they shoot t-shirts in the audience. You ever seen that stuff? It's kind of fun. So this is what I'm saying to you right now. With every one of these verses, I'm just, boom, launching this to you, okay? Now, it, God's desire is for this to be launched into every single heart that's in this place, I want that to be true, but I know in a, in a setting this big, not, not everyone here is a Christian, but I, I hope that this winds up, for all of us, hitting us in the heart, and for some of you who don't know Jesus, hopefully it will hit you in the head. <laughs> no, no, I mean that in a good way, because God wants you to think. He made your brain. You need to use it. Okay? He indeed was foreordained, before the foundation of the world that was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him, Jesus, from the dead and gave Jesus glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See that? John 3, 13, 19. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. This is our prophetic God. Next verse. 
John 14, 29. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Next verse. John 16, verse 4. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Next verse. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you. Notice all of this is prophetic. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or difficulty. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, your Holy Spirit's outpouring blessing upon, well, Lord, upon every person that's here. Your children, that's a given. But if there's somebody here right now that doesn't know you, I pray that you would bless them, Lord, with the revelation, with the desire to pursue you. Cause them to see that they are in an impossible situation, that they're lost, they're alienated from God, they're on their way to hell according to the Bible. All humanity is, by default, we've got to get off of this burning ball, so to speak. It's crashing. And Jesus reaches out to you, my friend, and is extending to you the hope of redemption, salvation, forgiveness, to free you up from everything and anything that is not of him, to give you a brand new life. Father God, we pray. I pray that you would bless this this actual physical property, the dirt, the buildings that it sits on down to the center of the earth, to the Starry, starry sky above. God, that you would make this place and your people beautiful, powerful, emanating beams of righteousness and of holiness and of love and of truth like we have never been before. It's a fearful, darkening time, and yet it's our time. It's a challenging moment in our world. And yet you've brought us to this moment of challenge. People are terrified. And we have peace. We're going to heaven. Lord, let us not be content until we tell and share the gospel with as many men and women, boys and girls, as is possible. In Jesus' name. Church family, I just changed my mind on something. Guys, do you have the video? Give me a thumbs up if you have the video. No? Sean? I told him I wouldn't play it today, so it's okay. He's calling. I see that. You have it. Okay, so put your eyes to the screen because while I was just praying, um, whatever opportunity God brings to us, Remember, it's God who brings these opportunities. It's not man. And so I'm gonna, I want you to see what just happened, a, I don't know, a week and a half ago. Oh, and listen, please just, you can close your eyes if you want. Just listen to the words. The house will be in order. The prayer will be offered by the guest chaplain, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Calvary listen, Chapel, listen, Chino please. Hills, Chino, California.
Let's pray. Almighty God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, together we come before you in humility as a people in need of your forgiveness, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace. For these 250 so years, our fathers in this Congress have prayed for your guidance and protection. And so we stand here in humble petition that you today might do the same, that this nation and its unparalleled constitution, your great gift to all freedom-loving people, might be renewed here and across this land as a beacon of hope to all who seek peace. I ask you today, Father, to bring to us a great awakening of righteousness and confidence in you, who alone is mighty to save. Hear my cry in this hour of great need that we might be humbly blessed before you in the repentance of our national sins. You, almighty God, are the source of all wisdom, and there is no wisdom but that which comes from you. So please come upon those here who are the stewards over the business of our nation with your wisdom which comes from above and with your holy fear knowing that your coming day of judgment draws near when all who have been and are now in authority will answer to you, the great judge of heaven and of earth, for the decisions that they make here in this place. I offer this prayer to you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our crucified Savior and resurrected Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.